0: different is beautiful and in this series we're asking this question and I think it's an important question like does being a Christian make any tangible difference not not like do I get to go to heaven someday because everybody knows what Christians think about that and if you're a Christian uh, then you believe someday you'll go to heaven and that's a big difference but I mean like does it make a tangible difference where people can look at your life and go yeah they're different and I don't know if you've been paying attention. Uh, this could be the first time you've heard one of these sermons in this series. Uh, but if you haven't, I just I, I kind of want to catch us up to speed because I, I think what we're doing, this Matt and I who have preached in this series, is pretty brilliant. Um, I think it should be a book. I think that, that this series is important. And I can't take the credit. I'll give credit to God and James who wrote down the book of James where we're studying from a couple thousand years ago because this isn't like... This isn't your grandma's religion. Sorry if you're a grandma, but you know what I mean. Like, this is, this is something different. This isn't the, the typical kind of Sunday school. I've been in church forever. Like, what should be different in your life? I really ought to read the Bible and pray more. I think, like, I'm so sick of that as a pastor. Like, people, that's it. That's all anybody ever thinks about with Christianity. Like, if I just would read the Bible and pray more, that's the only real difference I have from the guy down the street who doesn't know or love Jesus, or care about things of God at all, and it's like, I mean, for me, personally, maybe not you, but I hope, it's like, shouldn't there be something more, I mean, we kind of claim that we have come to this religion where where God created us, and then he came down amongst us in the form of a person named Jesus, that's a big deal, like, God becoming a human being, that's so weird and radical and what does that even mean and and then he lived a sinless perfect life a life that we really can't even imagine except for what it tells us in the bible and then he died on a cross so that we could be saved from our sins. I mean, God dying, that's weird. And God dying for me, that's also weird. And then he rose again. Easter's coming. Invite somebody. I really don't want to preach that series to just a bunch of Christians. And so make sure that I have non-Christians here. I'm actually gonna be very angry if I don't. That's a side note. And then he rose again. And then he went back in heaven and he sits in heaven and he still calls us individually, like Chad Harms, to follow him and live for him. And we're like, yeah, here's the big difference it makes in my life. I should read the Bible and pray more. <laughs> really? And the book of James, and this is why I think what we're doing is so good and should be written down in book form, is, is, is like these are like very real differences that James is showing us. He's saying that the portrait of a Christian's life should be vastly different than the portrait of somebody else's life, a regular person's life, a normal person's life, somebody who doesn't know, follow, love, care about the things of Jesus. And he said it in a bunch of ways, he said a bunch of things so far, like this, we should be different in our trials because we are recognizing God is working in our lives through them. When we go through something bad, when we put up rock, paper, or scissor, it should be different in, in our response and our attitude than somebody who doesn't know and love Jesus. It doesn't mean we like, act like we're happy all the time, it just means that, and some Christians try to do that, but it means that we really like go, this is horrible but I have hope because I have something different in Jesus. I mean, we should be different in our religion because we should practice what we preach. I know a lot of people, a lot of people in our world that aren't Christians, that they just say whatever they want, they can believe whatever they want, and then they don't do anything based on those beliefs. There's a lot of people who, who would tell you, I don't really believe the Christian thing, but then when something bad happens, they pray. They don't have to, you know, it's like, well, I thought you didn't believe in God or think that God loved you, but now you're asking him for things. It's, it's where faith doesn't really line up with what, you know, they believe. And, and Christians, we're supposed to be different because when we say we believe something, we're supposed to live it out. We're supposed to practice the word of God. We, we saw that we should treat people differently. We should treat people according to what they need and what God has called us to do in their lives instead of what everybody else in the world kind of lives like, treating people based on what you can get out of that person. We're friends with, you know, whoever's going to be friendly to us and make our lives better and we treat people well that can serve us in some way. No, the Bible says that we should be different in that regard. We should be different in our speech and we should learn to control our tongue. We should be different in our wisdom because our wisdom... What we see as Christian wisdom is is something that serves God first and ourselves second or maybe not at all. And and we should be different, and we talked about this last week, in our desires as we find our fulfillment in God, and it should lead us to not have a bunch of quarreling and arguing and bickering because we go, well, you know, I, I don't need anything from you, and so you can't really upset me that bad because I have everything I need in God and what I desire is to be filled up by God and to be doing the will of God. i just... Just a pause, this is our eighth week on this sermon series. We have two more, I think, after this week. And I think they're going to be helpful and good and important. But, like, what if you just took those eight things and you said, I'm going to just try to live that out. I think that you would be making a dent in people going, you know, I know Christians, but their life isn't any different than my life. It looks kind of exactly the same. So why would I become a Christian? Because all Christianity is, is I have to get out of bed earlier on Sunday and and I have to try to read the Bible and pray more and apparently none of them do it anyway. And so why would I subscribe to that? But if you just were like, I'm going to treat people different and I'm going to speak different and I'm not going to quarrel and argue because I'm filled up in God, I'm going to go through trials different, then people would begin... To see that there's a real, tangible difference in Christians, and in Christianity, and in Jesus. Last week, we saw this big one. And, and, And the big one was like, we could not argue. I think it's impossible for people outside of Christianity, almost impossible, I should say, to like not have bickering, and quarreling, and fighting, and wars, and all that stuff. Because we can be filled up by Jesus and not need anything from other people. And last week, we talked about really the, the fix-all, this, the magic bullet to, to stopping arguing and fighting in your lives is to be filled up by Jesus. It's not going to fix things overnight. I mean, that's not like, hey, I decided to be filled up by, by Jesus and I'm not mad at you ever again. You know, I mean, that takes some work and some effort and some doing. Uh, but today, I want to take a step back from that. Because last week we talked about how the fighting comes as you want something and you go for something and somebody stands in the way. And we talked about how that can be physical things, like, I want the car and the stupid used car salesman, and I'm sorry if there's any here or any that will listen online, but you know what I mean. There's a stereotype, and it's wrong, but um, I've met some good used car dealers. uh, But, like, you're in my way, and you're not giving me the price, and so we get mad, and then we quarrel, and we bicker, and we leave the thing yelling and talking about it to our spouse or a friend like these stupid idiots, and I'm angry. And I think there's got to be a starting point that, that we kind of, James skipped over last week, it's a step back. And the question is this, like, what are you trying to accomplish in life in the first place? You know, I mean, like, what is the course, the direction of your life, and what should the course and direction of your life be? And the question is, is going to be this, I mean, how are we to be different in our planning from other people who don't know and love Jesus. I can tell you this about myself. I am a much better person when I am extremely structured. And in my four and a half years, how long have I been the pastor? Three and a half years as, as the lead pastor, I've become more and more structured, uh, and more and more uh, rigid in my scheduling of my life because I've found that I, I'm... I, you know, if you knew me, some of you did, as a youth pastor, then I would have always forgotten when we were having coffee, and I would have, you know, forgotten to pray for you, and I, you didn't know that until right now, um, but I, I, I would have, you know, and, and you would have been like, hey, we had, we were supposed to hang out two weeks ago, I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember we talked about that once, and so, and I realized I just couldn't do that and have our church move forward, and, and so I become like a super rigid kind of person, and I don't, i, I like, I'll tell you this, like, have two calendars. One is for, uh, that are on my iPad. One is for like my weekly schedule. And, and I try, I don't, it doesn't always work and I have to be somewhat flexible, but I try to fit that weekly schedule perfectly every week. I'll wake up Tuesday morning, and I'll start working on my sermon. It will be kind of like a, a first day where I start putting it on paper, and uh, and then Wednesday is a day where I'm going to work on it further and really try to write the sermon, and then Thursday from 9 to noon, these are all 9 to noon, I'm going to like try to start to make sure that, you know, it's Engaging and that I am kind of can say it out loud and not sound like a, a bumbling idiot. You're like, man, your Thursdays must get messed up sometimes. Um, uh, but like I, I try to stay that, and then like I have like I try to pray over my Bible. I try to do Lectio Divina. I'm not very good at this. And eat lunch every day at, from noon to one, and uh, I schedule my meetings in the afternoon because that's when I can't think, so I can sit there and listen. Uh, I'm really good at listening in the afternoons, you know, and and I think way better in the mornings. And so and I try to stay on this, and I have a to-do list of weekly things that every week I mark off and I go down the list. I have a prayer schedule and my prayer days are like Monday is prayer for Bryn and I and Tuesday I pray for our kind of church congregation and Wednesday is the day that I try to pray for you guys as individuals and your needs and your rock, paper, scissors and everything involved. And Thursday I try to prayer walk in this neighborhood and Friday I try to pray for my family and the things going on in my family's life and then Saturday I try to pray with Brent, and I want to get out on a prayer walk if we can, and that's kind of the goal, and, and wherever that kind of leads us in our prayers. Like, wow, well, you're boring, first of all, and I didn't know you were an old man at this point, uh, but this is how I function better, and here's, the, you, you know, that has made it work. I haven't missed a meeting with any of you in a long time. You usually miss meetings with me more than I miss meetings with you, uh, and and it works for me, but here's what James has said to me through this passage of Scripture, what if God wants you to do something different this week? And I'm okay at being flexible and I I move around, but sometimes I just don't like it. And I don't really leave room for like God saying, go down the street because I want you to have an interaction with somebody. I want you to to, to talk to somebody about me. It just, you know, sometimes I don't have room for what God wants me to do. And this passage of scripture is going to say, Chad, that's wrong. And I think that all of us value planning. Planning is good, by the way. I'm not saying planning's not good. I haven't missed a meeting in a long time. But I think all of us think that, that we need to be on this like, course of life and, and we try to set like, a direction for ourselves. Hopefully you have. If you haven't, then you're wandering aimlessly and you're going to end up somewhere other than you want to be. But, but all of us want to like, set this course of life. And in a lot of ways, culture has dictated what that course of life should kind of be like, and if you're like me, then you kind of have this kind of clock inside of you, and you said, whether you did it or not is unimportant, but you thought as a kid, like, I'll go to school, and then I'll graduate from high school, and then I'll either start a career, or I'll go to college, and after I've started my career, or gone to college, and started my career, then I'll get married, and then I'm going to have a baby at some point and then we're gonna need a house so I'm gonna I'm gonna have a house and then we're gonna kind of go down the line I'm gonna get a couple promotions uh and then and then you know we'll have another kid and I'll need more money and but we'll need a new house and we'll buy another house and and then you know raise the kids and we'll be busy and then eventually the kids will get out of the house and we'll be excited but then we're gonna be sad actually because we loved our kids so much and everything was good and then I'll just kind of coast into retirement when we can kind of sail into the wind that's kind of the course of life that we we think we're supposed to have. And there's this giant question that's lacking that James is going to point to. It's this, what about God? I mean, where is God in this plan of yours? And should Christians, and I don't see this a lot, I'll be honest. We don't seem to have a different way of approaching our planning than anybody else. It looks exactly the same. Like we get on this track and we go and sometimes we go off of it and we don't like it and we look at people who go off and you messed up, you know, and I mean, and we want to be just kind of going this way. And listen to what James 4, 13 says. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. He hasn't even made a point yet, but it's already a little convicting, because he starts with "now listen and like go to now" is the actual translation. It's it's like an emphasis, like I really. And it's interesting because he's saying a lot of good stuff, right? I mean, like this is how you cannot argue, and and this is what you should be like in trials. And now he takes like this one phrase, and he's like, "Okay, I really want you to pay attention to this." And the people that I want to pay attention are the people that are trying to live out the American dream. The people who are trying to do everything right all the time and go in the right direction. You have a course of life mapped out. You're the people, most Americans, that I want to listen to what I'm about to say. Now, I just this is important because you say, well, you know, maybe culturally it was very different. And, and people, you know, didn't have plans like we do today. Actually, he's probably speaking to merchants who were salespeople that would travel around in a pretty thriving Roman world and they would sell stuff in different cities. It's like a normal occupation. And so he's going to pause and he's going to say, hey, you normal people who have planned out your life, sounds like a good plan. They're picking the city, they're picking the amount of time, they have a business model, and they're going to make money. It's my kind of plan. I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. He says, I want you to listen to me. And already you can hear the tones. This is something is wrong. And we'll see that in the next verse quite clearly. But something is wrong with what these people are doing. And if you're like me, you go, it doesn't seem like anything is that wrong with their idea, with their thinking, with even what they're saying out loud. What is wrong? And we'll see it in a second, but let's just get it out there right in the first verse. There's a couple things you need to notice. First of all, he says, you who say, and then he says, the Lord will. And then later, there's a lack of condemnation about planning in verse 15 and just a couple verses. And all that to say, really, James isn't talking about planning here. He isn't saying like, listen, you who plan. It's something different than that. It's how they're planning. And then first of all, the first part that's really, you just got to get in your head is the word will. There's an arrogance in this planning. There's an arrogance where these people are saying, I'm going to. I know the future, and the future is me going from different city to different city, making lots and lots of money, and then retiring. And James wants us to see right at the beginning this arrogance in these people. And the second is the objective of their lives, which is to make money. John MacArthur actually identifies five kind of things that they say that is part of their planning. And he says, time place, duration, action, and, and this is the one where they kind of get in a little bit of trouble here, objective. You see, these people are getting James to talk about them. He wants them to pay attention for two reasons. First of all, there is an arrogance about their planning. I am going to do this because I said I'm going to do it. and It's going to happen and it will happen because I am me and I got it under control. And second of all, because their objective is void of God. They're saying, look, here's the plan. Here's the plan of my life. It's all mapped out, and it all aims to one thing, me getting rich and famous and being happy. James does not like this very much. Listen to verse 14. Why? Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. This says, why are you so arrogant about the future when you don't even know what will happen tomorrow? Proverbs 27.1 says this, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not even know what today may bring. Here's a question I have for you. It's a real question. Put your hand up. How many of you are exactly, and I don't mean like in church right now, but just in life in general, exactly where you thought you'd be 10 years ago? I thought Brandon's hand was going up. He just leaning on his chair. like, okay. <laughs> zero zero nobody's gonna stick the hand up just to be an outcast or something you know a rebel I mean none of you are where you thought you would be 10 years ago and James makes his point he's like why are you arrogant about your planning Evan is raising his hand Evan how old are you Evan is nine years old so he uh, winner thank you for having the courage to do that Why be arrogant about the future with this planning and saying, look, this is what's going to happen. This is my life goal. This is what I will do when you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. I think about Wesley Matthews. He's a blazer. He's injured for the rest of the season and our hopes are lost and everything is bad this week for me. But uh, I should have put a, a rock up for a physical problem, Wesley Matthews, Achilles, I mean, think about this. Wesley Matthews, there's 20 games to go in the season. The Blazers are really good this year. If you're not paying attention, you're barely an Oregonian. And, uh, and, and Wesley Matthews makes a cut that he actually said, and I believe this, I've made that cut hundreds of thousands of times in my life. All he did was plant and start to go towards the hoop. That's the thing you put the ball in, for those of you that don't know. And wham, his Achilles is up in here, you know? I mean, it doesn't work anymore. He can't put any weight on it. And you know we didn't wake up that day thinking like, I'm going into surgery in a couple of days. I'm going to be rehabbing. He's like planning on how to win a championship. I think of this. uh, When I was in college, I was driving to my grandma's house from my apartment. And I was going to print uh, something there because I didn't have a printer or a printer was out of ink or something like that. And I'm sitting at a light that I've sat at a million times and I'm waiting to turn left, and and somewhere, and I can still see it, uh, it, like, I see this biker come across, and this is on Parkway in Salem, if any of you are familiar, it's 55 mile an hour road, and I see this guy on a bike, and and I remember this, like, this all happened very fast, um, but I remember this thought, like, that guy got so lucky, and then, all of a sudden he gets hit, and I see this kid, Turned out to be like 17 or something, flying through the air. And I opened my door on a 55 mile an hour road to stop traffic. I, I, it's dark still. It was dark. It was early. And I remember putting my hands up and hearing a crash. And I thought, I honestly thought, and I was driving my uncle's car. I don't know why I was driving my uncle's car, but I thought that a car had hit my door and taken my door off. But it turned out he had hit the bike. And all of a sudden, I am, this, this kid flew. I mean, like flew, I, I point every time we're at the intersection, I point to Bryn from where the kid went to the other spot. I mean, the kid had to go like 45 feet or something. I mean, he, he flew through the air. And, and I go from like going to print the paper to, I kid you not, I go over, just finish the story because now you're interested more about this than what I'm saying. I go over and he's trying to get up. And other people are trying to hold him down. And I had a, uh, my jacket, it still has blood on it. I got it back from the police after like years, actually. Uh, and, and I got the jacket out of my car and I put it under his head. And then somebody says to me, try to find his foot. Yeah, it's not a joke. And I think his foot might have been on somewhere else. And so I go from printing a paper, this is my goal for that morning, my plan, go turn it in, go to school, maybe skip a class or two. I mean, this is my plan for the day, to I'm wandering around on a highway looking for a kid's foot. And then the lady who had hit him, not her fault at all, is back And I had a counseling class, and I had just talked about post-traumatic stress disorder. And in my head, something clicks. I'm probably more qualified than any other person to uh, intervene right now. So I go from looking for the foot, which I couldn't find, to now I'm trying to counsel this lady on the side of the road who has just hit a kid who's writhing in pain waiting for an ambulance to show up. Because other people had him held down and there was nothing we were going to do for him. And then can I just, just to finish, this has nothing to do with anything. Then another lady pulls up and is like, I saw what happened, and I hit a kid on this road too once. It's like, what I, I, I try to avoid the road now because I'm cursed. I don't know. It was super surreal. And I think of that moment, and it's just a description of what can happen in life. Life does not go the way that we intend life to go. I mean, a kid decides not to wait at a crosswalk and then two Three hours later or whatever, I'm out there still talking and dealing with stuff, and everything is different. And I spent the rest of the day, baseball practice and all, trying to not think about it anymore because I, see, I still see it every time I sit there. And James is saying, like, why would you be arrogant? About the future, why would you have these set in stone plans like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what life looks like when you don't have a clue if a kid's going to get hit by a car on your way to work this morning and you're going to have to help. Why would you be arrogant about the future when you don't know what is going to take place? He also says that our lives are but a mist. They're short. We don't know when we're going to die. John Calvin sums up his argument. Who has promised to thee a life for tomorrow? We have these big arrogant plans about what we're going to do. We have the American dream. We think if I just take these steps, but we don't even know if we'll be alive for step one of our 25 point plan. I mean, Jesus describes this, he's telling a parable. And he's talking about a guy who has stored up for himself lots of riches in Luke 12, 19 and 20. He says, And I'll say to myself, that's the guy talking, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I mean, sometimes we sing this song, but I don't think we really consider what we're singing. I am a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. We sing it, but somewhere inside of us, we're like, you know what? I'm more like a a train on a track, and I'm headed somewhere, and I'm going to accomplish some things, and I'll stop at certain points. And James says, let's remove the arrogance. I mean, I think of other things. I think of September 11th in our nation's history, thousands of people going to work, and then they die. No chance that they would have known about that. I think of fatal accidents. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever just paid attention to how we we don't even consider how bad a fatal accident is for families and stuff when we hear it on the radio? I mean, it's just a traffic stop for us. Like, oh, there's traffic because somebody died on the freeway. It's like so regular for us. That we don't even stop to really think about it. I mean, nobody wakes up thinking I'm going to die in a car accident. When I was, I spent two months in Southeast Idaho as a as a summer missionary um, after my junior year of college, and first week there I met this family they were also uh, missionaries in southeast Idaho which if you don't know is is uh, like 80% LDS Mormon people uh, and that's why I was there to, to kind of minister what I did is I ministered to, to people who weren't LDS because there's not a lot of ministry for them and we met this other family and they were nice and you know they, I was gonna have their kids be part of a small little youth group that we were doing uh, over there and like a day later Two days later, the host pastor, my host pastor, Ken, got a call and Dave and Andrea's son, who had just graduated from high school, was headed to college, had died in a car accident. And we were in the hospital while his family mourned. I was was driving their van behind the hearse within five days of meeting these people who had three beautiful boys and had plans for their son to go off to a Christian Bible college, and they were super excited. And nobody sees that stuff coming. We just can't see that stuff coming. Shootings, I mean, we hear about them all the time. I mean, you walk into a mall now, and it could be your last moment because somebody else had a bad day, decided that that was the day that they were going to make a name for themselves or whatever it might be. James is just saying, why? Why? Why be arrogant about the future? Why set these goals that are totally driven by money when you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone if you're going to be alive? And then he says this, Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Now, I want to first go, you go, well, that's a very small difference. I mean, (laughs) wow, we're splitting hairs here because these people are planning in the same way. And and all the difference is like they're saying, if it's the Lord's will. And you've probably known people who drop this line in sometimes. It's kind of like the amen of planning. Like Christian people just kind of say this because they probably know it's somewhere in the Bible. And they don't mean it at all. It's like, well, here's what I'm going to do, you know, if it's the Lord's will. And it's like, you don't mean that. You mean you're going to do it and you want to say if it's the Lord's will because you know that somewhere in the Bible. It's like, you don't even know what, what James is talking about or what the Bible is talking about. And I think that what James is getting at is pretty simple. It's not hair splitting, it's a big difference. And what he's saying is that when we plan when we think about what we're going to do on a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week basis or a month-to-month basis or a year-to-year basis, then we must consider God in all of it. We can't say, look, this is the plan. I'm not deviating. I'm sticking to it. This is my schedule. This is what's going to happen. It's just going to be like this. We must say, God, I'm creating a plan. I hope it's something you want. I don't know what you have in store for me. And, and this is a big one, if something comes my way that you want me to do, then I'll leave that plan and I'll deviate from that plan to do what you have called me to do. You see, I see it in this. Known a lot of people who have done YWAM through the years. They'll take a year off from school, and YWAM is youth with a mission. It's a mission organization, and they'll leave and they'll, they'll go and do something. And, and I'll be honest. Just in my makeup, and maybe this sermon isn't for all of you. Maybe some of you are fly by the seat of your pants. Let's do whatever. I'm just out here serving Jesus. I don't even have a plan for the rest of the day because I'm going to do whatever Jesus wants me to do. But for me, I look at these YWAM people. (laughs) I've been admitted a lot in this sermon series, so I should just have a confessional afterwards. Too bad we don't believe in that so I can feel better about myself. But I go, wow, that's kind of a bad decision. You're really going to take a year off from school? I mean, you're kind of going to ruin the process here, and you're going to set yourself back a year. I can't imagine why you would do that. It's part of my family structure. I took a semester off in between my my uh, bachelor's degree and my master's degree, and I think my dad told me every week, "You need to get back in there. You need to do this because that bachelor's degree is gonna give you nothing in life, Chad." Uh, he never said it like that, but but it's just it's part of like my family culture, and it might be part of your family culture too, that it's like, wait, you just think God's telling you to go, and you're gonna go because you know you could tell God later, or he, I mean. And what James is saying is that difference. That difference between I will go through college and hopefully God's on board with me versus this is my plan to go through college, but if God wants something else, then I'll do whatever he would have me do. I mean, it's a huge difference. And and I'll have you notice that, that he calls it evil when we plan apart from him. That's a big word. I mean, that's not like a little simple thing. There's other words for bad. He could have used the word bad in Greek. They have other words. He uses the word evil. Like, what do we connect evil to? Like, Satan and, and killers and really bad leaders in history. I mean, we call Hitler evil, and we think of people that shoot. We say there was something evil about them. And evil is not bad. It's not, like, not okay. It's not a wrong idea. Evil is evil. And James, because he, I think he can hear people like me say, okay, I'll say if it's the Lord's will, you know, I mean, if it's going to make God happy, I'll kind of pretend that I care. He says it's evil if you plan apart from God. It is evil if your plans supersede your willingness to serve God on a day-to-day basis. That's different than the rest of the world. Very, very different. Paul understood this. In Acts 18:21, he says, "But as he left, it says, "But as he left, I will come back if it is God's will." Then he sets sail from Ephesus. The second part of the verse may more closely mean, as it is, you boast in your arrogant and false pretenses. You are boasting in things that you cannot know about tomorrow. You are acting as if your plan is greater than God's plan. It really comes down to two things. You need to recognize God's power and his sovereignty and that you need his help in everything and that nothing you aim to accomplish can be accomplished besides and without him helping you and guiding you and allowing for you to accomplish it. And you need to plan to do what he wants you to do. If you put together a year plan or a five-year plan and you haven't actually said to God like, hey God, what do you think I should be doing for the next year? Then you have a problem. He continues, James 4, 17, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. That can be applied generally to everything in life. If you know what God wants you to do and you don't do it, then you're sinning. But more importantly, it's applied here, James, one more time. I mean, one parting shot. Like, by the way, one more time, it's evil. And if you just ignore this, then you are sinning. Wow. Wow. Really, if I put together a plan? I mean, planning is good. Everybody likes a plan, but if I put together a plan and I'm not considering God in that planning, then I'm sinning because I'm doing something evil. This is a quote. I don't know where I got it from, but he has urged us to take the Lord into consideration in all our planning. We therefore have no excuse in this matter. We know what we are to do. To fail now to do it, James wants to make clear, is sin. Sin. I introduced you to to these two last week. There's Mr. Smiley and uh, and they got married during the week. I performed the ceremony and all. So this is now Mrs. Smiley. Last week there was some confrontation with another man and we worked all that out. We just left him in the van. Um and so uh, so these two are pretty happily married now and uh, and they're young. You know they're I don't know how old they are. I don't want to talk any of you into getting married too young, but we'll say they're like 20 years old. And we look at Mr. and Mrs. Smiley. And we say, here's how you plan. You plan so that when you're old and you can't work, that's kind of the starting point, you have some money in there for yourself. You plan to have a baby when you can afford it and it's going to be a good situation and and you're going to be able to have enough room in your house and you're going to be able to afford it. You plan your job based on what's going to make you successful and happy. You, you plan kind of where you're gonna live based on that job. You plan your day to day based on if you get a date night and you know, make sure that you have some boundaries, some room in there and, and make sure you have some time for each other. And we we tell. I mean, wouldn't we? I mean if you're if you're older, wouldn't you say like, hey, Mr. and Mr. Smiley, like plan so that your future is good. Kinda it. And if you're, you know, at that younger age, if you're, like, in the 20s or whatever, and, and you're, you're thinking about getting married, that's another one. Like, you're like, I'm, I'm planning I'm married, and you got this list. I've, I've just, I've known so many women with, like, these 200-point lists, and they've apparently never met a man. Um, and so, I mean, because it's just not going to happen. That's what I want to tell them. Like, that's never going to happen for you. Um Side note, marriage advice. Ready? Ready? Meet the best looking, most in love with Jesus who will actually marry you and marry them. That's, uh, that's my big marriage advice for you. Best looking, not in that order, most Jesus loving, best looking person who will say yes to you. That's, that's the key right there because all the other stuff, what you have in common and stuff, it's not going to matter in a few years. You won't even be the same person in a few years that you were when you were 20. Brennan and I don't like the same movies, music, anything. Uh, and yet we have a good marriage despite what you might have thought after last week's sermon. Um, <laughs> And I think that we, I mean, we can pretend they're separate if you're single and you're looking to get married or you're married and you're middle-aged and you're thinking about retirement and you're thinking like, what does the next few years have for us? Or you're a young married couple and you have your kids and you're trying to process through that. I mean, you can do a lot of good planning and you should plan. But if your plan doesn't say, hey, God, what do you want us to do? And if your plan isn't allowing for you because you're arrogant, you say, this is what's going to happen. If it isn't allowing for you to say, God, you know, this is our plan for tomorrow. But if you have us do something else, then we're going to do it. Then you are sinning. I mean, Mr. and Mrs. Smiley, they should have a plan. I mean, they should think about when they're old and they can't work anymore. That's a good idea. And they should think about how they're going to raise their children and what kind of school they're going to put their children into and if they're going to vaccinate and if they're going to... I know I say it every week because it's on my Facebook every week, right? Um, I can't get away from it. And, you know, if they're going to have a natural birth or the thing that goes in your back and makes everything better. um, I mean, we should talk about these things and we should plan on these things. and, And these are important conversations to have. But at some point, if Mr. and Mrs. Smiley... are are Christians, which we think they are, they have to go, honey, what do you think God wants from us? What do you think God wants from us? And as I look around at the average Christian person, it's not even part of the conversation. We've basically associated being a good Christian with being a good American, that has a good job and plans for retirement and has 2.3 kids or whatever it is, and a dog like my dog, and just like kind of that perfect life and eventually buys a house. Let me give you an example from Mr. and Mrs. Harms. We bought a house, I don't know, six years ago. Uh, six years ago, right before we got married, we bought a house uh, and it made sense. My grandpa was a realtor. His realtor fee was going to go as a down payment. And I want to pause and say that my niece actually lives there. I rent it to my sister. And, uh, and so God has worked this out. But through the years, I've, I've pretty well come to the conclusion that it was not what God would have had for us. It wasn't in the right city. It's, I hate owning a house. I absolutely hate owning a house. Uh, it's like there's yards Houses. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that and I hate doing that, I, and I, I just and it and it's not just that I don't like owning a house. It's that I just don't think it was right for us to do. And I've thought that for a long time. Bryn knows that. I think we just did something because like this is kind of the plan. We're getting married. We can be cool. We could own a house before Matt and Ashley. Uh, and my so my brother-in-law. If you don't know me, then me and Matt are just kind of the same person in our family. So we have to try to one up each other. Uh, and you know, it's like. It's, it's, it's like i bought this house because of i was supposed to uh, because that was like kind of the trajectory of my life like that's what i'm supposed to do and it was wrong it was wrong when you plan if you're a christian you have to take god into consideration now if you're not a christian there's a thing this is a real thing i think I think there's a lot of people who don't become Christians because of their plans. I really do. I think some people are like, look, I got this, this, and this. In fact, our community, if you look at demographics, uh, the, the number one kind of demographic in our community now is young people who are driven by career. And I can just picture all the people that kind of live by me and all the people that live right here in this community, and and, and a lot of people are like, look it's all about my job. I'm working all the time because I want to move up that corporate ladder and I got to get a good start in this thing and Sunday morning doesn't really fit into the plan of our lives and even if they kind of feel called and and like I should go to church and that might be good, there's something that's like, look, we have Saturday where we get everything done and, and Sunday is the day when we just plan to kind of hang out and I need that day of rest because I have this job. Man, if you're not a Christian, I just would say like don't let the plan stand in the way of Jesus because you don't even know if you're going to die tomorrow what else might happen. And if you're a Christian, then this is what I want you to do. I just, I want you to live different, to live in a way that says, I will plan, but I will ask God if this is a good plan and if I should have this plan, and then I will be willing to deviate from my plan if it's what God wants me to do. Here's your homework this week. I want you to wake up one day, one day, and I want you to say, this is tough for some of you, what does God want me to do today? I'm going to guess he'll want you to go to work if you have a job, just a guess. But then what does he want you to do after work? And maybe you'll miss your TV show. Maybe you won't feel as rested the following day when you 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 don't get as much sleep. But just ask it, what does God want me to do? to do can you just raise your hand if you'll do that that'd be cool if you just put your hand up this is what you need to remember this is it ready It's a little bit of alliteration again please God in planning by check this out avoiding pride and altering your purpose you can please God and not be evil and not be sinning by avoiding pride I know I will do this and this is what I will do and and Altering our purpose to say, "God, this is about you and loving you and, and showing you that I'm your follower," instead of saying, "It's all about me." Avoiding pride and altering purpose. Will you pray with me, Lord? This is a, just a rad passage of scripture, Lord, um, because I, I like it. It's just so contrary to what I what I made up like, um, so contrary to what I see taught. Uh, to what, what people, even in our church, think like—it's so contrary. to how we talk about the future of our church sometimes, Lord. It's it's so contrary to to how we encourage people to live their lives. Um, but it is awesome, and, and I pray, Lord, that we would break kind of this 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 box that we're in that says, I will do this and I will do that and I will do this and it will accomplish this and this is what it's going to be like and and we would just stop and we'd say, God, what do you want me to do? Lord, I pray for anybody that's not a Christian, that is at all hung up by this, like God doesn't fit into my plan, it just, I I never saw myself being a Christian someday, I never saw myself as a church guy, church woman, I, I pray that you would break that right now and just they would go, oh, I don't even know what will happen tomorrow, let alone if I'll be alive. And they would just give their lives to you, Lord. And as I think about Easter coming, something we've talked about, I mean, people are, it just doesn't fit into their plans. There's gonna be people like that As our congregation, and I'm believing them to do this, invites neighbors and friends and people that they know at Starbucks, as they invite them, Lord, uh, to come and be a part of our church and hear about the hope that comes from your resurrection, Lord. I pray that just in the hearts of those people who we don't even know who they're going to be right now, that that you would break the cycle and they would not say, well, it doesn't fit into my plan, but they would go, yeah, yeah, I'll come because I don't even know what's going to go on in a year tomorrow. And Lord, for those of us who are Christians, man, help us to stop speaking about rigid plans like they're the end-all, be-all to the successful Christian life, Lord. Lord, I pray that I would be willing to miss a meeting if it means being more open to your spirit. I pray, Lord, that our people would be willing to sacrifice little or big, God, to do what you want. God, I pray that that we would be willing on a Sunday morning not to show up to church if if you say, hey, there's a guy that needs to have a conversation about Jesus and now's the time. Lord, let us not be so rigid unless it's rigid about following you wherever you lead, Lord. Lord. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. While planning isn't the most spiritual of topics, Lord, or so it seems on the surface, we want to be in your will at all times, God, because we know that that you came to die for us. Remind us of that all the time. Let our lives be driven by our response to that. In your holy name, amen.